Welcome to Faith and Good Counsel, where we talk about ways to live a virtuous life and all of the things that affect us in our vocations, in whatever state of life we may be in. And now your host, Stacy Galino. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us here today on Faith and Good Counsel. As always, it's such a blessing to be with you each and every week to talk about beautiful, beautiful topics, some of them sweet and wonderful, some of them a little more challenging. And today we actually have a beautiful but challenging topic. We're going to be talking about a big topic, a beautiful topic, our creation authentically, who we were created to be as men and women known today as the teaching of John Paul II, now St. John Paul II, Theology of the Body. And we'll be talking with author Emily Stimson about her her book, These Beautiful Bones, an Everyday Theology of the Body. And so I want to welcome Emily to the show today. Hey there, Emily. Hello, Stacy. It's good to be here with you. It is such a pleasure. I You have been on my list for a long time, and I'm just so happy that today is the day that you and I are going to be talking about one of my favorite, favorite, favorite subjects, the teaching of St. John Paul II, who is heart of my heart, my beloved. I know he has to be your beloved as well. Oh, I rely on him so much. He He's, is one of my one of my sort of go-to prayer warrior sources. He's, he was the Pope of my childhood and young adulthood, oh, so he's, he's like a father. He truly is, and he is an amazing intercessor. He has been so directly intercessory in our life. Um, in fact, uh, I have a son who is... Uh, uh, his name is Jacob, and he is a student at Franciscan University. I know that you are an, alum, an alumni from there. And um, he, John Paul II, has been directly intercessory in Jacob's life. And so it's really miraculous that he is even there. So that's a story for another day that we, you and I can talk about over tea another day. But, you know, I, I don't know if you're a regular listener to Faith and Good Counsel, but if you, but if you are, you know, dear listeners and Emily, that we always start our program off with prayer So let us begin in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O God, who are rich in mercy and who willed that St. John Paul II should preside as Pope over your universal church, grant, we pray, that instructed by his teaching, we may open our hearts to the saving grace of Christ, the sole redeemer of mankind, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. St. John Paul II, St. John of the Cross, St. Teresa of Avila, and Our Lady of Good Counsel, please pray for us. Wow. Well, Emily, you're, this is your first time to be with us on Faith and Good Counsel, so I want to let people know just a little bit about you, and then I want to dive right into your book, These Beautiful Bones and Everyday Theology of the body. So Emily, you are a freelance Catholic writer. You're based in one of my favorite places on earth, Steubenville, Ohio. You have a a number of fantastic books I own and have read all of them. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You can find Emily's work all over the place. She's a contributing editor to our Sunday Visitor Newsweekly, a blogger at catholicvote.org, other writing, first things, Uh, the National Catholic Register, and on and on and on. Um, She has uh, degrees in political science, history, English literature, graduate work as well in political science, and a theology degree 
in a graduate degree rather from in theology from Franciscan University. So, I mean, hello, very, very knowledgeable about so, so many things. And frankly, Emily, if I may say, just a beautiful writer. I love your work. Oh, so, thank you. I would more say I have intellectual ADD, <laughs> and I'm very knowledgeable about <laughs> <laughs> So I have to be a writer, because I get to write about different things all the time. It keeps me interested. Oh, well, I love it. And I want to talk to you, because I have a few projects in mind, but that's a topic for another another day. But um, I want to talk with you today about one of your more recent books, These Beautiful Bones and Everyday Theology of the Body. And you and I share a love of this teaching of John Paul II, which, you know, is so either people don't really know what it is or they think it's all just about sex and what, what does the Catholic Church have to do with all of that? No, 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 no. It, in fact, is so much more. Isn't that true? It's true. You know, it, it's, it's an anthropology, which sounds like a big word, but it means it's a study of the human person. So it's not a study of sex. It's not just an encyclical on, you know, human sexuality. It's a rich, beautiful meditation on what it means to be a human person and how we're called to live and love and what God's made us for. It's, it's sort of like a guidebook to living a fully human life. You know, and coming from that, the psychiatric mental health perspective, if we knew who we truly, truly were, we would not have, I truly believe, as many emotional health ills, if you will, and, and problems and so forth. Or when the problems come along, as they do, you know, we have to take up our cross, we would be better able to cope with them because we know who we are truly as daughters and sons of the Most High God, authentically masculine, authentically feminine, made in the image of God. So, but we've lost something. And you, you start off your book, These Beautiful Bones, with talking about what we've lost. We've lost a sacramental worldview. Can you talk a little bit about what that means? Sure. You know, a sacramental worldview is in some ways just another way of saying a Catholic worldview. It's a worldview that's grounded in truth, seeing the world as it really is. And that is as this beautiful gift that was created by God, where everything has meaning, everything has purpose, everything in some way is speaking about God, pointing us back to God. You know, everything in the world can become an occasion for grace. When we look at a sunset, we can see God's glory. And that's not a coincidence. We're not just seeing God's glory because we have creative imaginations. You know, God created this world to tell us about him. And most of all, he created the human person who is made in his image to tell us about him. But like you said, we don't, we don't see the world that way anymore. When we look at the sunset, people don't necessarily see the glory of God. When people look at the human person, they don't necessarily see the image of God. People have, people have forgotten who they are and how to see the world. And and that is the problem of modernism, which is another whole issue. Exactly. And which leads me to my next thought on this. You know, how in the world did this happen? If in the beginning we were created in God's image and likeness and we saw God in everything, what in the world happened? Well, it's a long, long story that we don't have time to go completely into here, here that goes way back to the 14th century. Um, but if you really want to look at its more modern roots, you can look at the Enlightenment and the glorification of science and reason. And there was this idea that man could know everything. Man could make everything perfect, you know, if we just worked hard enough. We At call the that, same time... We call that yeah. narcissism today. Yeah, narcissism. Egos. Uh, at the same time, people stopped 
saying that, oh, the sunset doesn't, the sunset doesn't tell you about God. The sunset's just the sunset. You know, matter became just matter, mm-hmm. something to be molded and manipulated to our own ends in this quest for this perfect, you know, perfect paradise world. So people stopped, they stopped seeing what matter was supposed to point to and decided that we could make things into whatever we wanted them to be. We became little gods in our world. And as we did that, we got farther and farther away from who God, seeing who God made us to be. And even people who were Catholic and loved the Lord, it's hard to not be influenced by modernism when it's hitting you over the head every time you turn on the television or drive down the highway and see bulletin boards or, you know, go on to Facebook. It's, it's everywhere, and it ends up coloring how we see the world. And so you have a lot of Catholics who love Jesus and love his church, but the way that they see even themselves, their bodies, what it means to love, it's much more shaped by the culture than it is by the church. And without us even realizing it, it's like the frog in the pot of cold water that you sort of turn the gas up, and we're we're at a nice rolling boil, I would say, <laughs> you know, in, ter- <laughs> in terms of, you know, we have several centuries now of this developing, you know, modernistic thought, you know, from, from the likes of Immanuel Kant and, and Hume and Rene Descartes, who split the body and the soul from one another and, and just created all kinds of problems that generation after generation, and, and, and maybe with some good intentions, we would not want to, uh, you know, in, in the uh, pursuit of science and reasoning and knowledge, we, that's a holy desire, to desire to know. But when you exclude God from that, when you exclude the spiritual from that, um, we end up, what happens is we put our own selves at the center. We make ourselves God, right? Right. And modernism, you know, it's had good fruit. Indoor plumbing, iPhones. Yes, love indoor <laughs> contact plumbing. Contact lenses. I would be the village idiot without contact lenses. I'm grateful for these things. But, no, it, it has slowly reshaped the way we see the world. And I, I often joke that you know, we're living in the middle of a zombie apocalypse. Uh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, people who are neither fully dead nor fully alive, not really seeing the world around them, but just using and consuming, you know, the living things that come into their path. Um, and even though we don't want to participate in that, when you've been formed by that culture, when you've been raised in the midst of a zombie culture, it's hard not to pick up some of the habits of zombies. It truly is. And, you know, when you're sitting in an undergrad science class or an English class or what have you at maybe some of the secular universities and you're listening to professors who have really bought into modernism, you know, it sounds really, really good and enticing. Like, man, I'm in control. You know, I can do this. But you know, it promises things that don't deliver. And I love this quote that you have included in your book, These Beautiful Bones and Everyday Theology of the Body. This is from Father James Wayner. And it says, he wrote this of the modernist, quote, if only man reasoned hard enough, they thought, if only the right system of government or economics could be devised, sin and suffering, hunger and disease, war and strife would all just go away. Now, I'm looking at history, and I'm, we're still sitting in the middle of a lot of that. Are we not? We are. We are, we are at I mean, ground zero at this point. And you've got modernism and postmodernism, so sort of this hope, this belief that we can do it all, matched with the despair that we haven't been able to do it all. And people get more and more confused by the day. It's hard not to when you, everywhere you go, you're told that your body is beautiful if it looks you know, a certain way and is a certain size and you're fashionable and stylish and worth something if you're wearing this piece of clothing or you're driving this car. 
we can we breathe those messages in like air, and mm-hmm. it's it's continuing to transform us. And people are struggling and sad and miserable. They don't know who they are, and you can speak Catholic moral teaching to them, but you might as well be speaking Greek because yes. when you can't see the world as God made it, when you don't know who you are, you know. There's a lot of Catholic terminology that speaks very powerfully to people who have a good understanding of themselves. But like I said, just sounds like the the teacher in Charlie Brown going wah 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 <laughs> to people blah, who are blah, blah, right? <laughs> well, but the church has seen this, has been warning us, has been giving us teachings. But I tell you, Saint John Paul II was given to us, and may I even say now blessed Pope Paul VI was given to us in this day and in this time for very specific reasons. And there are teachings that will help us regain that sacramental worldview. Um, And so I tell you what, we're coming up on a break and that's where I want to pick up. I want to pick up on the church's response to modernism and begin talking about how we can take that lofty teaching, that beautiful teaching of St. John Paul II, Theology of the Body, and apply it in our moment-to-moment, day-to-day life. So I'm Stacy Galino here on Faith and Good Counsel with you today, speaking with my lovely guest, Emily Stimson, author of These Beautiful Bones and Everyday Theology of the Body. We will be right back. Join us on November 13th at Our Lady of Mercy Church for the Pro Vita Dinner and Auction. The dinner is a fundraiser for religious sisters, seminarians, and students to attend the March for Life pilgrimage. Recording artist Jimmy Mitchell will be our keynote along with Father Paul Gross and others as we discover how to witness to beauty. For more information and to register online, go to youthmarchforlife.org. Remember, we need your help building this culture of life. The Will Woods Community invites all married couples and their children ages 7 to 18 for an inspiring weekend retreat called A Family That Prays. Designed to strengthen marriage, faith, and family, A Family That Prays will take place the weekend of November 1st and 2nd at the St. Joseph Abbey in Covington. Come for a great opportunity that will bless you, your marriage, and your family. For more information or to register, call 504-830-3716 or visit faithandmarriage.org. Welcome back, everybody. I hope you're enjoying Faith and Good Counsel today. I'm Stacy Galino, talking with my lovely guest, beautiful daughter of the Most High God author, Emily Stimson, of These Beautiful Bones and Everyday Theology of the Body. And that's where I want to get to that everyday part, Emily, but we've got a little more co- ground to cover first. So we've, in that last segment, we talked about the sacramental worldview and what we lost, the glory of what we lost through modernism and kind of where we sit steeped in that now, but no fear. The church is here. The Holy Spirit has given us Holy Mother Church to guide us if we will only listen and be open. So what was the church's response? What do you think is one of the the glory moments in the church's response to modernism? Well, you know, humane vitae, really, in a sense, that was a response to modernism. Uh, Paul VI, blessed Paul VI. Yes, pray for uh, us. Stepped back and looked at the world and saw where this attitude of nothing has meaning except for what I give to it. I can make all things perfect. Science is the answer. And he saw where that was leading in the bedroom to men and women 
using each other, denying that they were the image of a life-giving God, you know, denying mm-hmm. that life-giving capacity, um, and really reducing one another to objects. And he saw that, and he said, okay, <laughs> this has got to stop. As Catholics, we cannot contracept, you know, as men and women made in the image of God, we cannot use artificial means of birth control. And he delivered this strong, powerful response to modernism, but one of the problems was that so many people had already bought into the modernist way of seeing the body and married love and the world that for a lot of people it fell on deaf ears. And so mm-hmm. then John Paul II came along with the theology of the body to try and re-articulate um, the, the, what Paul VI had done, but in a way that people w- would hear it. Wow. Yeah, and, and, and you know, there's a miraculous history. I, I just, my husband and I just returned from uh, TOB1, Theology of the Body 1, with Christopher West on our way to TOB2 soon. Um, but just even the miraculous history of when John Paul I died, John Paul II, then Carol Voitia was finishing his audiences, right? And then yeah. there was some, do you know that history? There was uh, within the month that John Paul the first was alive and in his pontificate it, it was just enough time for soon to be john paul ii to complete his his audiences and then he began to deliver them immediately right well actually it's a little bit different than that tell uh, me correct he, me fix it <laughs> he uh, originally at cardinal Wojtyla wrote the theology of the body to be published as a book wow. uh it was a manuscript and it was all set to go to press when John Paul I died, and he got uh, called to Rome, and there's a little conclave, and he found himself elected pope. Uh, so <laughs> Ooh, surprise. that's when he decided the better route would be, instead of releasing, you know, having this book published, he would do it as his Wednesday audiences. And yeah. so he would deliver it week by week, and that way it would be part of the Church's ordinary magisterium. It would go from just being a book written by a cardinal mm. to being the teaching of the church in an ordinary, not extraordinary way. And that, my dear listeners, is the work of the Holy Spirit. That is how he works. It's an amazing, amazing story. Thank you for, for correcting me on that. But the theology of the body, the, the term is just thrown around, I think, and people, we really don't know exactly what it is, but it's nothing new. I want to make that point, and I'd like for you to to explore that a little bit with us. What do I, when I say it's nothing new, it's the teaching from the very beginning, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, it's very important that people understand that, because a lot of the critics of the theology of the body will be like, oh, what's all this made-up new nonsense about sex that suddenly everyone's talking about? You know, But John Paul II, when he wrote the theology of the body, what he was doing was re-articulating the sacramental worldview, this worldview that is written into cathedrals and symphonies mm-hmm. and Dante's, you know, mm. Purgatorio and Inferno. It's, it, it's this ancient worldview. And so if you read through the theology of the body and you study it, what you see is John Paul II incorporating, you know, the Song of Songs and the teachings of Jesus. I mean, it's, it's rooted in the Gospels. It's very biblically, biblically-based meditation. There is Thomas Aquinas. There is St. John of the Cross. It's a very powerful influence. Teresa of Avila, Dietrich von Hildebrand. You know, every 30 to 3,000 years back is where you're going to find those influences coming from. But what he did was he took these ancient and beautiful and rich understandings of the body, the human person, and the world, 
and he expressed it in a language that made sense to our modernist, postmodernist ears. You know, he he used terms people could understand. Like when you talk about primary ends of marriage and secondary ends of marriage, that's what I was talking about with them. Wah, wah, wah. Right. That doesn't make sense to somebody who hasn't been reading a lot of Thomas Aquinas. Mm-hmm. But everybody knows what it means to feel shame. Yes. Everyone knows what yes. it means to feel used. Everybody knows what you know the desire to give yourself in love to another person so he takes this language of the personalism and starts by reflecting on the human body and then weaves together this beautiful meditation that is you know rich with ancient catholic teachings wow well you know yes you and you hit on such a good point and i, I want to reiterate we all know what it means at any given point, we can reflect back, or maybe it's happening currently, where we are being used in some way as an object, where we are not being able, as we're trying to love, we're not receiving that love in return and that mutuality and that nuptiality, may I say, that we were created for in the beginning. And the, the level of shame, you know, on one hand, all of this perverse kind of sexuality distortions, et cetera, are out there, and then yet you're shamed for it's. It's just it's a no-win situation in this sort of cauldron <laughs> that we're bubbling over in. But but in the beginning, it was not so, right? And how is it? How was it in the beginning? How can we apply what John Paul II, Saint John Paul II, this beautiful teaching that he gave us in this moment? How can we apply that in our day-to-day life? How can we be that gift? How can we love that he speaks about so beautifully? Yeah, you know, I think it, it comes down to a few very simple principles. Like One, man is made in the image of God. So we look at who God is. God is a trinity. He is a communion of persons. You know, the mm-hmm. essence of his inner life is life-giving love. He's always pouring himself out and receiving himself. It's this trinity loving each other in a life-giving way. And so that's what we image. That's who we image. We are all called to be life-giving lovers. We're all called to live in communion with one another. That does not mean we're all supposed to have 10 children or necessarily any children at all. You know, God calls people to different vocations and life throws us different curveballs. But we're all called to help give spiritual life. We're all called to be a gift. And we're all called to look at one another and see the image of God standing before us. And so once you understand those basic things, how you work, how you play, how you pray, how you see the body and treat the lady at the grocery store, all starts to change because you know who you are. You are the image of God, and you know who the person next to you is. They are the image of God, too. It really does. It begins to reform, you know, as you learn who we who we truly are and that is really a theme from the very day one of faith and good counsel is who are we really because that's when i closed my my big big private practice i saw the groaning of the earth and the unhappiness and i through much prayer discernment and study just reason study i realized that people have no idea who they really are, which then led me to study theology of the body. It's just so a, a beautiful how the Holy Holy Spirit works because it has efficacy even for mental health, you know, theology of the body. And that was my original uh, venture into it. But in fact, it has um, efficacy. It has meaning for everything about our daily lives. Even when we think about food, how we eat, what we eat, um, and, and just maybe if we could even talk more so about distractibility and technology. And since we have just limited time, maybe we should go there. I really see 
Yes, there are biological elements to the diagnosis of ADHD. However, I see um, with my you know, secularly educated eyes and faith educated eyes that there's environmentally induced ADHD as well. And I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on that and how theology of the body can assist us in weaving through the distractibility of our day and time. Yeah, you know, technology has created all of... You know when you see the commercials where the dog and there's a squirrel and you're like, squirrel, and he runs yes. off in the opposite direction. Yes. It's like, shiny squirrel. <laughs> That's how our iPhones and Facebook and TV, it's, it's, it's reducing us to these dogs who are going, squirrel, something shiny. So we've got this person in front of us who we're out having a good time with and we're talking to them, but then there's this poll, what might be on Facebook? What else new is out there? Or the phone rings and what's, who's on the other end of the line? We're constantly seeking out these distractions and failing to treat the people in front of us as gifts. You know, everything we do in the body sends a message. And when we are looking at our phones instead of in the person's eyes who we are with, we're saying, you're less important to me and less interesting to me than what's going on in the phone. You know, our phones are pulling us away from this beautiful world that God has created. So it's real work to always come back to the body and have relationships in the body and not let our social lives be completely all about Facebook. Really, it's another way, and as I'm listening to you speak about this so beautifully, it, and I'm thinking it in an, in an unintended way, perhaps we are still objectifying and using or misusing the other person by, by placing primary importance by being distracted with the technology. Um, but it is a real pull that we have today, and it's a good, there's much good to be, uh, and things to be said about technology. Uh, you mentioned several earlier, um, but realizing and being cognizant of the fact that it does pull us away from the body, from that communio that we are called to in relationship with our brothers and sisters, and even more importantly with God and with our family. Do you right, know? you know, the church teaches that te- technology, the tools of social communication, are gifts from God. Um, they're good things, but we can misuse them. They're meant to be tools that help further human communion. So the Facebook event that helps get you to the dance, or the ability of you know to con- communicate and talk to a friend who's far away. But they're always tools, and so we have to learn to use them and not let them use us. Right. Can you talk a little bit about the element of self-mastery. You know what, we're, we're kind of getting short on time. Maybe we should talk a little bit about just self-mastery for a moment. And then I want to ask you about your very favorite JP2 quote. Sure. Well, you know, what John Paul II tells us that we have to be in charge of ourselves. We have to be masters of ourselves before we can give ourselves away. So in order to truly be a gift, you know, we have to be able to make that choice. And that that really comes down to the virtues. I've been wanting to write something about this for a while, but when we have grown in ver- prudence and fortitude and justice and temperance, you know, we, we're in control. We're free to love as God loves. Freedom is not being free to do whatever we want. It's being right. free from sin so that we can be who God made us to be. And that's what self-mastery is all about. Amen. And you spoke it, sister, freedom. Freedom, these things can enslave us. We were called to that freedom for for freedom Christ made us free, right? So, wow, Emily, I could ask you, I could just talk to you forever, and you make my job, my my desire to love my brothers and sisters uh, and to participate in their suffering with them so much easier by breaking down 
theology of the body into something very, very simple. Everybody needs a copy. These Beautiful Bones and Everyday Theology of the Body by Emily Stimson. Why don't you, Emily, as our, as our parting word, could you please share your favorite quote, John Paul II, St. John Paul II? Yes, and I'm reading it right now because in my office I have it posted up on a bulletin board in front of me. And he says that all men and women are entrusted with the task of crafting their own life. They are to make of it a work of art, a masterpiece. So I love that. We're all called to make masterpieces of our, of our lives. Amen. That's what God made us to do, and with His grace, we can. Amen. Well, God bless you, Emily Stimson. Check out her work at emilystimson.com and get a copy of These Beautiful Bones and Everyday Theology of the Body. Bye, Stacey. Thank you. Bye-bye now. We'll see you next week. Pax Christi, y'all. Faith and Good Counsel is a production of Catholic Community Radio. 